good morning. My name's Keelan, and I will be doing the Bible reading this morning, which is Luke 22, 1 through 23 of the NLT version. Uh, the festival of the unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money, so he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now the festival of the unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my sufferings begin. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is, new, is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the invitation that is not just for this moment, not just for today, but for every moment that you give us to come to your table. God, to feast on your presence, to feast on your word, to feast on the community of believers, God, that you have uh, blessed us with so that we can be strong and courageous as we seek to live out our faith. And Lord, this morning I pray that as we gather around your table, both figuratively and literally, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in our lives, that you would challenge us, that you would reveal the things in our hearts and in our minds that don't honour you, God, that you would encourage us in the ways in which we are uh, striving to, to honour you and to, to give you glory. And that ultimately, as we walk out of this place, God, we don't step away from the table, but God, we, we live in a constant sense of, of communion with you. And so we give you this moment and we ask for your will to be done as we seek you and seek to know you more. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is, is Phil, and it's a great privilege to share with you uh, today uh, around this passage. Thanks, Keelan, for, for reading that, brother. Um, last time I preached afterwards, Michael said, um, you know, it doesn't work like a TV, Phil. And apparently I was turning around like that, trying to change a channel with every slide. So uh, I'll try and do better today, but I'm already... Uh, No. So? Okay. So my dive slides, no? Yeah? Oh, you'll do it. All right. See, I've already stuffed it up. Awesome. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, but the idea of a table, not only central to Scripture, as Jonathan shared with us, but, but central to all of our lives. If you think back to uh, some of the most significant moments of your life, I, I, I hazard to guess that somewhere in there, there was a meal. There was an opportunity to sit with people that you loved, people that you cherished, and to share stories uh, and to share a meal. Uh, one, of, one of the things that stands out for me uh, when, I was, when I was a kid was that my mum always set the most wonderful tables. No matter what our life looked like, no matter where we were living or the chaos that might have been going on around us, there was always a, a tablecloth on the table. She had these porcelain serviette holders and cloth serviettes that she'd roll up and put into them. Um, she'd always have candles on the table. And I learned very quickly as a, as a, young, as a young man that uh, t- t- in the midst of chaos, a, a table can bring connection. A table can bring clarity. A table can bring community. And that was very real for, for us as we, as we grew up and we would sit around these, these tables sometimes in... in, in um, you know, in government housings or in, in, in refuges or in different places and, and we'd sit and we'd gather around the table and something would, would spark. We'd experience something that was beautiful and, and as I've gotten old, older, I realised we experienced something that was actually holy and it's something that is beautiful and, and something that we're all invited to and I can take great joy in. When we look throughout uh, scripture, we see the significance of the table as Jonathan was, was talking about and one of the really... Um, Sad things is when you meet someone who's never really sat around a table. Who's never really sat with their family and had a meal. Never really experienced that. Uh, with the work I do with, with men in, in jail, there's many that you meet who would never have had that experience. And one of the beautiful things we're able to do at different times is to create that, that table at Christmas just gone. Um, we had this, an opportunity to put on a Christmas meal for the men here in Windsor in one of the units. And one of the most beautiful things was in this unit of 30 men, five guys put their money in and they said, we want to we get enough food for everyone in the unit. And so they, these, these men who don't make much money at all, they put their money in and, and were able to put on a Christmas meal and share the gospel. And, and all 30 men in this unit of all different backgrounds, some were Muslim, some were other faiths, some had no sort of grid of reference for God at all. But, but these men wanted to put their money in and create this space where we could connect. And it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. It was one of the, most, the richest Christmas lunches I've ever had. When we look through Scripture from the Old Testament through the New Testament, we see example after example of this table creating something beautiful and sacred. 
Uh, right back, I think about Joseph and his brothers. You know, the story sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. Um, he becomes, uh, through God's providence, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And there's this amazing moment where he stands at the head of the table in all of his uh, royal Egyptian garb. So his brothers didn't recognise him and they sat along this table and he revealed his identity to them. And they feared for their lives, yet in that moment as he broke down and sobbed, he forgave them. And he said those amazing words, what, God meant, uh, what, what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. So you see this beautiful place of reconciliation. Uh, another story that, that I love is, is that of King David um, asking after his friend Jonathan, his late friend Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Uh, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne as, as Saul's son. Um, David had, had become the king and the tradition had it that you would, if, if, you were to, if you were to take the throne from sort of the royal line, tradition had it that you would actually kill everyone connected with that other family who may have a, a rightful uh, sort of claim to the throne. And so this young man was, was someone who would, would have feared for his life, yet David invited him in as his own son. And he, this young man had nothing to offer, yet he invited him in and they sat around this table and they ate a meal. And there's this beautiful reconciliation. Psalm 23, we hear an image of a table which is, which is probably a little bit um, different in the sense where it says, you know, you make, he makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And we hear that and, we, and the image that always came to mind for me was me at this huge banquet table which is just gorging and, and all the people who've done me wrong watching and just being in awe of this, this moment as I get to eat all this food and they sit there. Uh, but I, as I've, as, over the last few years as I've sat in that, I've, I've begun to think, what if that table is more about reconciliation? What if that table we're reading about in Psalm 23 is actually about setting a table in the presence of my enemy so that we can, we can sit and we can eat and we can share stories and we can begin to heal something that has been fractured. Because that for me really works in the line of what Psalm 23 is, is, is trying to capture. And so we see all these images in the Old Testament we move into the New Testament and, and we know that Jesus' first miracle happened at a wedding banquet, at a feast where he turned water into wine. And so straight off the bat, we see the significance of the table again. We see moments like Zacchaeus, um, where Jesus is in this crowd and he chooses to go to the, the reputable sinner's house uh, for a meal. And everyone's talking about how he eats with sinners. And it's scandalous. And, uh, you know, when they would eat with sinners, it wasn't like us. We would sit across the table and we have our fine china and our cutlery. Like they would, they would share food. They would literally be swapping saliva as they ate together. Like the eating was an incredibly intimate thing that happened. And that's why you wouldn't do it with just anybody. And so you'd be in this situation where you were sharing um, the most, uh, one of the most intimate acts you could with somebody who saw the world very differently, somebody who was not following after the things of God. This was revolutionary and it was highly offensive. We know in Luke 7, which we've talked about in this series earlier, um, when Jesus is at the house of one of the religious leaders having a meal and he's reclining at the table and a lady walks in who is a known sinner and, and we know the story, she, she cries on his feet and she wipes it with her hair and then she anoints it with oil, uh, with perfume and it's this beautiful moment of, of worship and something that we reflect on even today. 
One of the, the tables I love is after the resurrection and he's been walking on the road to Emmaus and there's these conversations happening and, and they don't realise it's Jesus yet. Then, then they get to the house and then there's this statement where we're our hearts not on fire as he expounded the scripture to us. And there's this beautiful meal and interaction that takes place with the resurrected Christ. But in Jesus' life as well, there was, there was a situation with tables where he actually flipped the tables. You know, he's, he's in the temple, money's changing hands, the poor are being exploited, the idea of worship and sacrifice was being used for human gain. And so he goes in and he begins to flip tables, angering the, the institution at the time while seeking to honour what was good and right and holy. And so again, that not every, uh, not every, um, not every table is right. And we've got to consider what is the table that we are part of kind of creating and forming and, and even sitting at. Uh, the final table that comes to mind in, in the New Testament, there's many more, but is, is, is in, the, in the book of Acts when we see the early church and we'd see people gathering together in their homes and sharing meals. And we see the depiction of the early church. I remember during the COVID lockdowns and all the decisions uh, we had to make at our church and every church had to make as to what we did as we were allowed to open and, you know, this or that or how many people could gather. And we moved to a, a model of home churches. I remember people would ringing me or sending me emails or having conversations saying, why aren't we gathering again? So we are gathering. We're actually gathering in a way that looks more like the church than what we do normally. We're gathering in homes. It was an opportunity. I think at one point we were allowed 12 people in a home or something. I don't remember. It was sort of traumatic and I've blocked it all out. But uh, yeah, there's these moments where we were allowed to have a certain amount of people in our homes and we'd gather and we'd, these people would share meals. And, and in that year where we were doing that, or it wasn't a whole year, but in that time, we saw more salvations, like brand new Christians coming to faith and being discipled than I'd ever seen in, in ministry. Because there was something beautiful. Neighbours were coming into people's homes. There was something beautiful and rich that was happening. So we can see that this table isn't just a, a nice concept that Jesus suddenly picks up on and grabs here in Luke 22. We can see it's something that's been building. We've been building through, through all of Scripture. Having read this scripture, having heard a little bit of uh, who was there, we know the disciples were there, we know Jesus was there, we know Judas was there, who was one of the disciples. Um, who would you say does not belong at that table? Like if you were, who would you say? Who would you just yell at it? Who doesn't belong at that table in, in your sort of view? Judas? Yeah. And we may go, oh, no, I can't say that because it's probably not the right event. But I feel the same way. I'm like, I don't really, I wouldn't invite Judas to that party. Like, if I was fully aware of what he had done and was about to do, you know, we see Jesus says, you know, I'm delighted to have this meal with you before I have this, before I go into my suffering. You know, he's very aware of it, yet he was still invited to this table. But you and I would not invite Judas to the table, and I think rightly so. But I want you to take a moment. I want you to imagine that you... Are sitting at the table. Maybe it's helpful for you to close your eyes or, or, or not, but I want you to imagine that, that you are at that table that we've just heard Keelan describe in Luke 22. And as you sort of look around and you see people who you've done a journey with, what are you feeling? There's a sense of foreboding, like 
like something big's about to happen. Jesus is talking about suffering and surely this is not going to go bad, but it feels like it's just going to go really bad. Yet he's telling us to have hope. There's a bit of confusion. We know that people are plotting to kill Jesus, so there's probably some danger as well connected with just being present with this, with this person in this moment. So I wonder what are you feeling and I wonder where, where are you sitting at that table? Is Jesus sort of at the far end of the table, as far away, or have you sort of like do you sort of feel like no, he's he's close and he wants to be near me? How is Jesus interacting with you? Is he making eye contact with you? Does he? How does he interact with you when he says, "I have been eager to share this meal with you"? Do you believe that that's true for you? Is he looking at you when he says those words? Are you worried about what other people at the table may think of you? Oh, you know, what about, you know, what I said yesterday and now am I, do I even have a seat at this table? Like they know what I said or they know what I've done or they really know who I am and I sort of feel like a bit of an imposter. What sort of emotions are going on? Do you feel like you belong at that table? I think that's a, that's a question we need to sit in. Do you feel like you belong at that table? You see, Ju- Jesus wanted Judas at that table. And for a lot of us, while we might say, yeah, probably Judas probably shouldn't have been there, a lot of us probably go, you know what? I probably shouldn't be there either. Do any of us truly deserve to gather around that table? But Jesus wants you at that table. Jesus wanted Judas at that table. In the Gospel of John, he writes about this event and he talks about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Now, we have no evidence to suggest that Judas wasn't one of those people. Of whom, Jesus, of whom Jesus washed their feet. We read as well that, um, that, that, that the disciples partook in communion in the elements that we're going to do soon. We know that Judas was at least offered those elements, but again, we have no evidence to suggest that he didn't partake in that moment. So it's messy, isn't it? Does Judas belong at the table? Do we belong at the table? Luke twenty-two fifteen. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat the Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Jesus was eager to share that meal there with Peter, John, with Philip, Matthew, and Judas. And he's eager to share that meal with you and I. I think when we read scripture, we can often create straw men. Where, you know, the classic one for me is like Peter stepping out of the boat and like drowning a bit when he walk, tries to walk on water. And we talk about, oh, he's like got no faith. And I'm like, that dude has so much faith. You know, um, doubting Thomas. Like these people who are actually, we are way more like them than we are Jesus. 
And I think the same can be said about Judas. That there is so much in us that has the capacity to, to betray our king. Not just the capacity, but that at times we actually do. And we sit at the table and we, and we, um, we have these amazing experiences. And then we get up and we walk away unchanged. One of the interesting uh, things in Matthew's recounting of this story is that the disciples actually look around and they all look at each other and go, is it I? Is it I who is going to betray him? And they realised that in themselves they had the capacity to betray their Jesus. They began to worry, maybe it's going to be me. And we know that it's only within a few hours that Peter himself denies Christ three times. Bruce Larson says this in his commentary. He says, we are all Judases, actually or potentially. He says, the traitor is the one who has done something to betray the king, who has acted unworthily or dishonestly. That's me. What a marvel. The church is a fellowship of forgiven traitors. It's powerful, isn't it? We're a fellowship of forgiven traitors. We're a fellowship of people who've been invited to the table despite all of the chaos and the brokenness that we may bring to that seat. See, the issue with Judas wasn't that he didn't belong at the table. He belonged to The issue with Judas is what he did with Jesus. He knew Jesus, he sat with Jesus, he knew about Jesus, but did he ever receive the gift that Jesus had for him? Did he ever truly intimately know him? So the danger is we spend years gathering around the table, seeing the miraculous as, as Judas did. I think, you know, he was there when, when people were raised from the dead, he was there when the 5,000 were fed, he was there when the blind were healed, when the lame walked, like incredible things that he saw. So we receive this, this amazing ministry of God. We, we, we receive ministry in the church. We give out of ourselves in ministry. I'm sure Judas was one of the people distributing the bread and the fish as they fed the 5,000. We have these, these, these moments of incredible connection. We feast at the table. But do we get up and walk away when the pressure is applied? When the temptation comes in that we've never truly surrendered our heart and soul to him. We've never truly, fully immersed ourselves in Jesus. This is, the, this is the tension. What do we do with the table? What do we do with what Jesus gives us to feast on? Or like Judas, do we still cling to the other gods of, of money, of reputation, even of fearing for his life? Jesus is eager for you to have a seat at the table. But he's eager for you to stand up different, changed, transformed. Bring the mess, the chaos, the betrayal, bring the sin and allow yourself to feast on his presence, on his word, his peace, his love. 
And I love that this isn't an incidental place that he creates. It wasn't sort of like, oh, quick, let's grab a meal together. We see in Luke 22 that this was deliberate preparation. He tells his disciples, you know, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him as he enters the house. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that he's already set up. That is where you should prepare your meal. They went off to the city, found everything as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. What I love about this is I can imagine Jesus going, kind of peeling himself away from the disciples and going up to this room and preparing it. Preparing it to meet with those who he loved, creating this beautiful place of encounter and healing and revelation. I love that image. We're not an accident, we're not an afterthought. There's deep preparation that goes into his desire to connect with us and know us. In John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. So straight there is a bit of a messianic statement. It's saying, hey, he's he's lining himself up with with God, with Yahweh. Then he goes and he talks about this, this preparation that we see here. There are many rooms in my father's house. If this were not true, would I have told you that I am going there? Would I have told you that I would prepare a place for you there? If I go and do that, I will come back and I will take you to be with me. Then you will also be where I am. In this conversation that Jesus has at the table with his disciples that we're about to look at, the deity of Christ, who he is as God, is revealed. But also his heart to prepare a place where we can truly know him. And we can enter into that amazing invitation where the God of the universe says, I want to sit with you where the God of the universe locks eyes with us and says, I have been eager to share this meal with you. So what's the significance of the Passover, this moment that we find ourselves in? So this is usually celebrated with family, which is a pretty strong indicator of, of how he felt about his brothers who were gathered there. But ultimately, the Passover was a, was a celebration or remembrance of, of when the, Egyptian, uh, the Israelite people were, were brought out of slavery from Egypt, uh, in particular when um, they were told to put the, the uh, blood of the lamb over the doors and when the angel of death passed over and um, took out the firstborn in every Egyptian family, they'd pass over, uh, pass over their homes and the, and the Israelites would be set free from slavery and bondage. So every year this is, this is celebrated by the, by the Jewish people in remembrance of what, Jesus, of what God had done in rescuing them from slavery. And it's no coincidence that Jesus' crucifixion culminated during this celebration. That image of the spotless lamb. 
And so this is not just like a happy coincidence. On this date, they happen to meet and gather and have this conversation. This says so much about who Jesus is. And with these words, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Something shifted. Because with these words, at a moment where they're remembering Yahweh and his goodness and his deliverance and their salvation from slavery, he says, remember me. So he makes this really clear link again between who he is and who Yahweh is. That he is in fact God incarnate, God in the flesh. And it's this, um, there's this amazing clarity that begins to, to break, break forth. It's something that from our perspective, we go, yeah, yeah, cool, we get it. But from theirs, in that moment, on that side of the cross, this was absolutely life-altering, overwhelming, mind-blowing, catastrophically significant. And they're invited to suddenly engage in this moment of remembering as they were Yahweh's deliverance from slavery, but all of a sudden do this in remembrance of me. And so we see that the Exodus becomes something not just that was celebrated from the past, but becomes very real in the moment. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so this is where we see the shift, the old covenant of the, the blood over the doors and the, the sacrifices and all those things to, to, for, for restitution for their sins, all of a sudden shifts into this place of a new covenant, of a new exodus. We see that the idea of slavery in Egypt, physical slavery, shifting to a concept of, of slavery to sin. We see Pharaoh who was oppressing the people of God in, in Egypt. We see that, that concept sort of shift to the spiritual reality of Satan oppressing people. Oppressing, we see it oppressing Judas, but oppressing people and keeping them in bondage in, in their sin. Moses is like an archetype of Christ. And so we see Christ, the fulfillment of who Moses was as he led them out of slavery. We see Jesus lead um, ultimately the, the ultimate Messiah to lead them out of sin. We see their flesh being saved in, the, in all of the chaos of slavery and, and oppression. We see that move to the concept of our soul being saved. We see the striving of walking out of Egypt begin to become a picture of grace in the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. Even in the communion, which we're going to do in just a moment, we see the bread, the physical bread, become a, the spiritual idea, the spiritual concept of his body. The physical wine or juice become his blood. And so we see all of this sort of stuff that had happened, that was celebrating, suddenly shift into a matter of the heart and the soul. And it was no longer about striving to get away from physical bondage. It was about leaning into the grace that sets us free from slavery to sin. And this is the good news. When we sit at this table, we enter into a new covenant. Walking from bondage into freedom. We're assured of eternal salvation and a table at the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's why he says, I won't drink of this again until my kingdom is fulfilled. 
Because this isn't just a moment, this is something that sets, the, the, the sets us up for eternity. In Revelation 16, we see another image of a table. And this time, it's the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the, the, the hope that we hold on to for the future. This is in John's sort of revelation that God gave him of, of things that were to come. It says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean, waves, or the, sorry, mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honour to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This moment leads to that moment. A revelation of who Jesus is and his transformation that takes place in our lives. There's a one day we'll sit in that place at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Not long after, it's a couple of chapters later, it creates this, this beautiful image of what it means to live with God. In Revelation 21, it says his home, God's home will be amongst his people. There'll be no more tears or suffering or death or sorrow or sadness, all those things will be gone forever. This is the context in which this banquet, this feast will take place. And he's eager to share it with you. Eager for you to take a seat at the table and to begin that journey of connection and restoration. But we know, as I've mentioned, that at that table, sitting amongst him as a friend, is the one who will betray him. And we know that while people might be invited to the table, not every person will accept the invitation to be transformed. For he's been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? So this is the whole concept of grace. While we have all betrayed him, while we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, when we allow, when we surrender ourselves completely to Jesus, our sin is blotted out. We're no longer seen as traitors or betrayers or wicked. But Jesus stands in our place. And that's why it's not just whether you pull up a seat at the table and be a part of all the, the festivities and the celebrations and the beauty. But the question remains, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with what he, what he lays out for us to feast on? When we look at the bread and wine of communion, we're reminded that something had to die in order for us to celebrate that. The wheat dies in order for bread, the, the, the grapes die and become fermented, etc. to create the wine. And this is, this is the image that we're working with here, that when we come to the table, we begin the journey of death into new life. 
of putting to death the things that are no longer part of who we are in our new identity in Christ. Scripture tells us the old has gone, the new has come. That's what happens when we sit at the table. And just like for the bread and the the wine that is essential for something to die in order for new life to come, it is the same for you and I. Galatians says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And while we might have that information, is it a revelation that's led to transformation? So this morning, in, in a few moments, we're going we're to do communion together. And the question I ask is, as you pull up a seat at the table... What needs to die in order for new birth to come? I suspect even when I ask that question, something might instantly come to mind. Then we push that away and we try and mine for something else. But I wonder what that thing is that sort of came to mind that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to bring that to the table. I don't want you to sort of leave it at the seat over there where you get up and you come and you sit and you do the good Christian thing and then go pick that up again later on. No, I want you to bring that in all of its mess. Don't care what anyone around you says. I want you to bring that to me. Let's work that thing through. Let's, 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 let's begin that journey towards a new life. So... We're going to, in a moment, there's going to be a song that, that, that comes up. Um, there's going to be a video. I'm going to read the lyrics beforehand. But as that comes up, the invitation is for, for each of you to go and to collect the elements um, at the tables at the back there. And then if you're able to, and I understand for some it may be more difficult, and if there's someone near you who's not able to come and gather around the table, I'd encourage you to sit with them and, and share communion. But if you are able to come and to stand around this table and then we will take communion together and we'll consider this journey of being invited to sit with our Saviour. We'll take up that invitation that Jesus is so eager to give. But I encourage you to consider what do I need to bring to the table? God, what is the work you're doing? What is the renewal that's happening? For some of you, it may be the first time you've gathered around the table. Maybe you've never felt worthy. Well, the invitation is for you. And if you want to talk, if you want to pray, then there's a whole bunch of people here, including myself, Jonathan, Chris, others, who would love to pray with you and to walk with you on that journey towards Jesus. But you are worthy because... He is worthy. You are worthy because he says you are worthy. To bring the temptations, the joys, the disappointments, the anger, whatever it is, bring it to the table. I want to read the words to this song that we're going to hear. And once I've done that, the video is going to come on and I just invite you to gather the elements and then if you're able to, to come and stand around this table and we'll share communion together. So the song says, Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you and a friend who understands everything you're going through. 
but you keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame, there's a light of hope that's shining, won't you come and take your place and bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sin, all your sorrow and your sadness, there is a saviour and he calls, bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you carry, the fears that hold your heart, but through the cross you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. You can bring it all and come on in. Take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. Come on in and take your place and bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sin, all your sorrow and your sadness, there's a saviour and he calls. Bring it all to the table. The beautiful thing about this video is it's a performance that was filmed live in a, in a prison in the US. And there's this invitation for people of all walks of life to come to the table. So let's collect the elements of the song plays. If you're able to gather around the table, there's someone near you who's not able to, please sit with them and uh, let's, let's have this time together. years of my life, I struggled with drugs, I struggled with alcohol, just finding myself in the wrong places at the wrong time. I could have easily been where you guys are right now. Um, honestly, sometimes I think about it and I can't believe that I'm, that I'm not been. But I have a heart for you guys. I have a heart for, for this ministry and for where you guys are at, man. I just love to look out here and see some smiles on your faces and know that maybe my story can give you guys a little bit of hope and just to know that if God can save my life and, and, and can do it for me, he can do it for you. This next song is just kind of this idea that if you can imagine a table that's as far as you can possibly see and there's already a chair sitting there with your name just waiting for you to come pull it out. And we, we the ones that make it hard to give our lives to the Lord. He's already made it easy, guys. Had it just been for me or just one of you, he would have bled on that cross and died for your sins. So if you can just imagine taking all your junk and all your problems and your worries and troubles and just laying them at the feet of the cross, laying them on this table, he can take the biggest mess and turn it into the biggest message. Amen. And bring it 
but I'm grateful for the table. As we share in these elements now, I guess I want us to take a moment to reflect on the different images of the table that we saw throughout Scripture. The connection and the chaos, the, the reconciliation and forgiveness, the pursuit of holiness even when Jesus, Jesus flipped the tables, the revelation of his deity, the revelation of his eagerness to meet with you and to meet with me. The revelation of a new covenant that says we no longer have to strive and, 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 and work and work in order to be saved, but we can lean into grace. So Heavenly Father, in this moment, we gather as your people, grateful for your table. And maybe for some, the chaos of, of, of life at the moment means that this is an oasis. 
of connection and reconciliation. Maybe for some of us, this is the first time we've thought about you since last Sunday. But we thank you for the grace of this table. We thank you that you love us, that you are for us, and that you are eager to meet with us. I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink this wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Let's drink together. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. He gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's eat together. As we step away from this table, physically, I invite you to put your roots down around the table spiritually. Don't walk out of these doors or even step into a time of worship and go and compartmentalise. Allow your life to be determined by the power of that, of the table that the Lord invites us to.